this is a dark time of year, and especially today, it's a very dreary day, but it's also the time of year when days are getting shorter. We're almost at the shortest day of the year. Um, yesterday, the sun was down before 5 o'clock, uh, so that's uh, a big change from the summer when, when we've got the sun up till almost 9. And so uh, we can certainly feel the absence of that, that daytime, but it's okay because uh, even though it's darker now than it was, light shines in darkness. Mm -hmm. And that's what I wanted to, to talk about here today. It's something that we can appreciate this time of year, not only because um, we just sense the, the extra darkness, but also uh, in driving around, people have uh, a lot of lights this time of year. And we can appreciate those beautiful lights shining in the darkness. Uh, when, all the, when, when the day is, is bright, you can't appreciate those lights. You can't see those lights even. Um, but when, it, when the darkness uh, is around, those lights shine and we can appreciate them and, and see their beauty. Um, and in a way, like those lights shining in the darkness, the light of man also shines in the darkness. Uh, and we can read about this uh, in, in the book of John, um, beginning at uh, John chapter 1, verse 4. It's talking about Jesus Christ. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And so, the light of men is in Jesus Christ. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And I think that that is, that's a, a, a difficult statement to, to get all at once. That the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. But I think that's important, that to darkness, all that there is, is darkness. There is no light. The darkness doesn't understand, it doesn't comprehend the light. And the light that, that John is talking about here, we read in verse 9, that was the true light. And that light lighteth every man that cometh into the world. But then moving on to verse 12, we learn that as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so that light that lights every man that cometh into the world comes from God. And if we turn to uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verse 16, we read again about Jesus coming into the world and bringing light to the people which sat in darkness. The people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. And again, we have the contrast between darkness and light. And that light is shining in the darkness. And that contrast, the... the 
one way to think about light, or one way to think about darkness, is as the absence of light. Um, and so, when there is light shining, that is uh, that's taking the darkness away. That is that is not darkness. But again, like the lights that shine uh, in the darkness, Christmas lights, holiday lights that shine in the darkness, it's the presence of that darkness that sometimes allows us to appreciate that. And if we move on in the book of Matthew to chapter 5, Jesus talks about uh, lacking things. And how that lack can actually be a blessing. So Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And so in the, in the poor in spirit is an opportunity for the light to shine. For somebody who sees the poverty in their spirit, there is an opportunity, there is a place for the light of life to shine. For those that mourn, that have the absence of joy, there is a place for the light of Jesus Christ to fill that void, that absence of joy. For the meek, those who... I think one way of thinking about the meek is people who recognize uh, an authority higher than themselves. People who are subject to something else. People who do not take... do not take it upon themselves to be in charge. They recognize the lack of their authority. But in that lack creates an opportunity for the light of God, for the authority of God to fill that void, that absence. For those who hunger and thirst after righteousness... They can only hunger and thirst if they recognize the absence. You have to have the absence of uh, uh, of satiation. You have to you have to be hungry. You have to recognize the absence of food or whatever it is that you are hungering for to be hungry. You have to have the absence of whatever it is that you are thirsting for to thirst. And so that absence is a blessing because it allows us, it it gives an opportunity for the light of Jesus Christ to fill that absence. And it provides an opportunity for us to let the light of Jesus Christ fill the world. And moving on in in Matthew chapter 5 to verse 14, Jesus says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. 
Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so it's very important to let the light shine. It's important that that we do not hide the light of Jesus Christ, that we do not um, place it under a bushel. We don't keep it from being seen. But as we know, light shines in darkness. And so the place that our light can be seen is where there is darkness. The place that, that any light can be seen is when there is darkness. And so recognizing that darkness is an important part of seeing the light. And um, there's a similar passage in Luke chapter 6. Where Jesus also talks about how lacking something can bring great rewards. In verse 20, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Being poor means lacking something. Being poor in whatever it is, whether you're poor in riches, you're lacking money. If you are poor in spirit, you're lacking spiritual maturity or or spiritualness. Um, But it is in recognizing that lacking, in, in lacking, that the kingdom of God is available. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled, Jesus says. And so it is, it is the hunger that gives the opportunity for there to be something to fill it, to satiate it. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. And so when, when we are feeling hated, when we are feeling uh, put upon for the sake of Jesus Christ, that is the time to rejoice. It's not when you're being appreciated for that. It's not when everything is going your way. It's when there is that absence that absence of love, that there is the opportunity for love to fill that void. And so Jesus says, on the other hand, in verse 24, But woe unto you that are rich, for you have received your consolation. And I think that, that what that means, or one of the things that it, it points to, is that if if you are perceiving things in a way that that you are satisfied with how things are, if everything looks good to you, then you are not recognizing that lack. There is no place for God. There's no recognition of what is absent. There's no recognition of the light. Because, again, the darkness can't comprehend the light. But there is certainly light and darkness. 
And so if you're not comprehending the darkness, then that means that you're just in the darkness, I think. Um, It is the fact that you can see the difference, that you can see a lack uh, that is an indication that the light of God is inside of you. That you can see that there is something lacking in yourself. That is what is an indication, not that you are not a child of God, but that you are. The fact that you see that something is missing means that there is a place for God in your life. The fact that you can see that you aren't in charge means that there is a place for God to be in charge of you. But if you don't see that, if you are satisfied, if you are rich, if you see yourself as rich, well, then there's nothing more. If you've got all the money that you need and that's the only thing that you need, well, then there's nothing else. That seems like a very sad situation. There's nothing to look forward to. There's no place for God. And so... It seems ironic in a way, but the, the real blessing is not to have everything that you want, but the real blessing is to see that there are things that you need and that you lack. And so the absence, a way to, the, the contrast between Uh, what you can perceive that you need and what you really have can be a blessing. It highlights um, our need for God. So Jesus says, Woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. And again, if, if you feel satiated, if you feel that there is nothing lacking then you will hunger, you are lacking the, the place for God. Um, and there is there's also, uh, again, light and darkness. And so if, if all that you are seeing is that things are good, you're not recognizing that there is anything lacking, then that is something that is coming in the future. Um, And so, perceiving that lack, perceiving that absence of of light, gives us the opportunity to fill that absence. And by filling the absence of light, by giving of ourselves and giving of our light, we can receive uh, more than we give. And in verse uh, 38 here of of Luke chapter 6, Jesus says as much. He says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. And so, again, getting back to the the idea that that there is light, and there is darkness, there's light, and there's the absence of light. Where there is an absence of light, that's an opportunity for us to give. 
to give of the light that's within us. And so when we see that opportunity, when we see the opportunity to give, that's a blessing. We can give, and that will not only fill the world with more light, but it will um, benefit us. We will receive more. I think by placing ourselves in that position of service and of, of uh, attempting to, to be a source of light for others, that's a way that we can uh, shine our own light in the darkness uh, and also receive more than we give. So thank you very much for your time and attention. Appreciate very much what Brother Ben has brought forth. Real good, real good message, and I especially needed that. I got a little bit discouraged last night. Drove back from New York. I don't see as well at night. I don't uh, care for the nighttime, especially getting dark about five o'clock or before. And I, I really needed that message. And it's encouraging to look for the opportunities even in the darkest of times. And I think the Lord put that on your heart, and I, I appreciate it. It helped me. How do dead people speak? The Scripture tells us that dead people speak. There's a really good message that Elder Powell's preached, and you can Google it and find it, about how dead people speak. I'm going to take a little bit different approach to it. But the Scriptures tell us that dead people speak. Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. This whole chapter is, uh, the common theme about it is that of faith. And then it talks about the faith of one individual and it refers to dead people speaking. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Faith is the evidence. If you have faith, it is the evidence that you are a child of God. It tells us how that we can embrace things that happened before our time. And it also teaches us how we can embrace things that are to come. How is it that you believe in Genesis chapter 1 that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth? How do you believe that? It's because you have faith. It doesn't matter how much you rationalize and reason and try to explain to someone that God created the heavens and the earth Amen. if they don't have faith. Amen. You can explain it. You can make it as logical as it can be. You can argue. You can discuss. But the only way that somebody's going to actually embrace it and believe it is not going to be based on the details, but it's because they have something on the inside that resonates with what they hear, and that's called faith. How is it that you can believe that there's a heaven? 
How is it that you can believe that Jesus Christ died upon the cross of Calvary, that he paid the price for your sins? How is it that you can believe that he's going to come back for you again in the resurrection day and take you home to be with him in glory? It's because you have something on the inside that God gave you, and it's called faith. And so if you have faith, you are a child of God. If these young children believe in God, if they believe in heaven, if they believe that God created this world and this earth and that we're made in the image of God, that is a great evidence that they have faith, which is the evidence that they are a child of God. Now, some folks get it backwards. There was a, there was a, um, my pastor used to tell of a story. He, he lived in a little West Texas town called Rawls, Texas. And he said that in this uh, town that he lived, he said there was a, a young man that was just a little bit, little bit slow. And he said that everywhere he went, he pulled a chain with him. And he said, somebody asked him one time, says, why is it that you pull that chain everywhere you go? And he said, well, have you ever tried to push a chain? (laughs) So he wasn't as much off as what they thought. But some people get it backwards, get the cart before the horse. And some folks think that you have to go out and get faith in order to get eternal life. But it's just completely the opposite. You have eternal life. And then as a result of eternal life, it's almost a package deal. That I, that's, I, I don't want to discount it or cheapen it by saying that. But it's almost part of the complete package that as God gives you spiritual life, he also gives you faith. He also gives you the ability to believe on Jesus Christ. Unless you have spiritual life, you're not going to believe on Jesus Christ. You don't get the belief first and then the spiritual life, but you get the spiritual life and then you have the belief. You get the spiritual life and then you have faith. You get the spiritual life and then you have hope. It's not that you have those things first and then the spiritual life comes. It's that you're born again of the Spirit of God and as a result of that, you have faith. Now, what is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's talking about things to come. Are there some things that you're hoping for? Are you hoping for heaven? Are you hoping for eternal life? Are you hoping to see Jesus Christ? Are you hoping to see your brothers and sisters and your parents and those that have gone on before you? Then the way that you can hope for that is because the medium for you to hope for that is called faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. That means that's how you can embrace and hope for those things because you have something inside that's called faith. He says faith is the substance of things hoped for, but he says faith is not only the substance of things that are hoped for, but it's also the evidence of things not seen. You weren't here in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, but you don't have any problem believing it. And the reason you don't is because you have something called faith. It is the evidence of things hoped for. It, 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 it's, the, uh, it's the evidence of things not seen. It's the substance of things that are hoped for. 
Here's how John Gill, I love this description of faith. Faith is a firm persuasion of the power and faithfulness and love of God in Christ and of interest therein. It is the substance of things that are hoped for, the evidence of things that are not seen. It is a confident persuasion, an expectation, and it is an assurance of the promises of God. So that's what faith is. Now he goes through, and you can go home and read all of chapter 11. It's outstanding chapter right here about those who lived by faith. And their life was and is a great encouragement and an example to you and I. Now it comes down. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. And he's not talking about just older folks. He's talking about those that were following Christ. He said, and he highlights both men and women throughout this chapter. It's really, really good as he begins to to highlight it. He says, for by elders, they they obtained a good report. Did you know that, that if you are living by faith, we sing a song, living by faith, great song. If you're living by faith, the result of that is that you're going to have a good report. You're going to have a good report of those that know you, those that you come in contact with, if you live by faith. Brother Ben brought out how important it is to have the absence of things. Well, in the absence of things, that's when your faith becomes the strongest. It is. When your health fails, when, you, uh, when your, your resources are meager, when, when you have challenging times in your life, you lean on those promises that God gave you, and that is simply exercising the faith that God's given you. Amen. He says that uh, the result of that is that you're going to have a good report. Everybody here would like to have a good report. Well live and exercise the faith that God's given you and the outcome of that is that there's going to be a good report he says through faith through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God that just means that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and we simply believe it I'm not here to convince you of that if you don't have faith there's not anything I can tell you to convince you That God created the heavens and the earth. That the world was framed. But when we go back and we read it. When we read these examples of what God has done. And we say, you know what? I believe that. That shows that you've got faith. That's what helps you to believe it. That's what he says right here. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed. That by the word of God. So that the things which are seen. Are not made of the things which do appear. And then he then verse four. And here's where I want to get into the at least touch base on it just a little bit. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. It says that Abel, the sacrifice, the lamb offering that Abel offered was accepted by God, and that Abel offered this sacrifice, and he offered it by faith. He didn't offer the sacrifice based upon his own accomplishments, upon his own achievements. 
He didn't offer the sacrifice based upon a law, a requirement of the law, but he offered the sacrifice based upon the faith that he had in God, and God accepted that offering that he had. Now, he says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. God accepted the sacrifice of Abel. He says, By faith Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And it says, And by it he being dead, talking about Abel, by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. How is it that dead men speak? Number one, in God's Word. God inspired His Word through men to pin His Word down. I didn't know Brother Job. You didn't either. Job's one of the oldest books in the Bible. But because of the experiences that Job had and that God inspired his word to be pinned down, we're blessed to be able to benefit from the experience of Job. One of the greatest blessings I, I take out of the book of Job is this. I believe that God is sovereign. I believe that God is in control. I believe that God has all power. I don't understand all the ways that God works his power, and we never will. I don't think God reveals all of that to us. But we do believe that God is in control. I believe that Satan goes about as a roaring lion. And I believe he's on my case most of the time. Probably he doesn't have time to be on your case because he's on mine all the time. But I also can take the assurance to know that God is more powerful than Satan. And that Satan can't do anything more than what God allows him to do. If, if God did not have what's referred to in Job as the heads of protection about us, you and I both would be destroyed by Satan. That is the ultimate goal of Satan is to destroy us. And the only reason that he can't destroy us is because God puts his hedge of protection about us. In fact, there was a conversation or a communication that went on in Job between God and Satan. And Satan was going about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And his, his desire was to destroy Job. Amen. And God, God is sovereign, yeah. removed that hedge of protection. I don't understand what it is. I believe it's filled with grace and I believe it's filled with mercy. I believe it's filled with the power of God. But I picture it almost as a fence that's around each one of us. Mm -hmm. And God said, I'll remove just a little bit of that and you can touch Job's body. You can touch his family. You can touch his provisions, but you're not going to touch his life. Now, Job had a wife and she wasn't very encouraging to him because Job's wife said to him at one point, said, you're dealing with all these issues. Why don't you just curse God and die? Now, I don't know that I'd want a wife like that, but that was the wife that Job had. And, and, and God told him, 
He says, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. But he still praised God in the midst of all the challenges that he had. Blessed be God and Father. But Satan could only do as much as what God would allow him to. And for some reason, God allowed him to do it that it might bring praise to his name. So... I get that lesson out of the book of Job, and it helps me. And Job has been dead a long time, yet I still get that lesson, and it helps me a whole lot. So Job is yet speaking through that experience that he had. The Apostle Paul, I feel like I kind of know him a little bit. I feel like sometimes I can relate to him. I feel like when he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I think I can relate to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul doesn't state and give the declaration that we're good and getting better. He states that he says, O wretched man that I am, the more that I know about myself, the more I realize that 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 I would do, I do not. And that that I would not do, I do. He says, is there any hope of deliverance in this? And he says, yes, there is. He says, for the child of God that struggles in this life, there is hope of deliverance. It's not so much here in this life, but it's in the world to come. It's when he calls us home. It's when we lay this sinful body down. It's when we have no longer struggles with with the the temptations and struggles in this life. Because he says we're uh, uh, first Corinthians chapter 15 talks about all of all that it talks about in that chapter is the change that's coming. We hope to have a closer walk with the Lord. And as we do here in this life, we realize when we have a closer walk with God, how much more sinful we are. The more that you see the light of Christ, the more that you see that, the more that you see your own self and you see your own depravity. Yet there is hope for the child of God. A firm assurance that there's a day coming that we no longer have to deal with those struggles here in this life. I didn't know Paul personally, but he still speaks to me. He still speaks to me through his word. Jesus Christ gives us all these promises. God gives us all these promises. We weren't there when Christ walked upon this earth, but Christ is alive in our heart. And when he gives us these promises, he's speaking to us. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, he says, if you want to write this and put it on your refrigerator, on the dash of your car, on the mirror where you're getting dressed in the morning, he says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now, Paul's gone on, but he gives us some good promises that we can hold on to, that we can glean from. How do dead people speak? They speak through the Word of God. They speak through the promises in God's Word. They speak to us through their experiences when they come to mind. I love this, this, I love this, this, uh, this verse in Revelation. Here's another way dead people speak. Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. He clarifies it right here. There's some that have gone on that are not a blessing. 
They weren't a blessing in this life, and the memory of them sometimes doesn't prove to be a blessing. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. From henceforth, I love this, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. What's he saying right there? When they were living here in this life, they were living a life that was sometimes challenging. They were living a life that was sometimes difficult. But in their life, they taught us and they set examples and they taught us lessons. He says, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. There's a time coming for the weary child of God to rest from their labors. But he says right here, they may rest from their labors, but their works do follow them. Did you know that the life that you are living right now not only speaks to others around you from right now, but they're gonna, your life is going to speak to others after you're gone. It is. It's going to speak loud and clear. And we ought to be mindful of that. Of what are we speaking not only now, but what are we going to speak in the life after this life, after we pass from this life? You're going to still be speaking after you pass from this life. He says right here, he says, those that die in the Lord, they're going to rest from their labors. But he says their works. He's talking about those that die in the Lord. So he's talking about the good works of the individuals. He says those that die in the Lord. He says their works will follow after them. All right. This is the fun part. I'll share with you some personal examples. Mount Carmel has been so blessed with, as John Guest said, a unique group of people. Everybody had a different background, a different experience, but they brought so much to the congregation. And here's some folks that are now with the Lord, but they're yet speaking to us right now. I asked Sister Peggy when she came in the foyer back here. I said, what do you think about when you think of Sister Laura? Mark's mom, Charles' mom, Luke's grandmother. Great big smile came across her face. Now, isn't that a great way to be thought of? Before she even said anything, a great big smile came across her face. Sister Laura, and if you didn't know her, you missed a great blessing. God called her and gave her a special gift to make other people happy, to make them smile, to make them feel better. And that was what, that was one of the gifts. She had a lot of gifts, but that was one of the gifts that, that God gave her was to make other people's lives a little bit better. Now, he didn't give her a real good memory. She was taking care of Elder Compton when he was 100 years old. And one day she took him to Klein's grocery store and she set him down with a candy bar and a, and a, a cup of coffee. And she went and got all her groceries. 
And then she didn't realize until she got back home that she had left Elder Compton at the grocery store. He was still eating his candy bar and drinking a cup of coffee when she turned around and went back to get Elder Compton. But I tell you what she did have was a blessing from God to make other people happy, to make them feel better. Wouldn't you like it that when you're gone and somebody calls your name, that all of a sudden a great big smile comes across their face? That's a great blessing. It really is. This week I was talking to Sister Perry's great-granddaughter. And I said, God blessed you with such a wonderful great-grandmother. I said, hardly a day goes by that I don't think about your great-grandmother, Sister Perry, and the impact that she made on other people's lives. God blessed her to live to be 104 and a half. Such an inspiration, such a, a blessing. She wanted, she, she wanted to be an inspiration and encouragement people. When she was in, in her 80s, she lost her right leg. And after that, rather than be discouraged and overcome with despair, she had an arrangement with the doctor that when somebody in their 30s, 40s, 50s was going to have an arm or a leg amputated, she'd go up to the hospital and she'd walk in the room and she'd tell them, I overcame this and you can too. And up until past 100 years of age, she was still ministering to other people. When I think about Sister Perry, great big smile comes across my face most of the time. There was one time that it didn't, and I'll share that with you. I just turned 50 years old. It was my 50th birthday. I was giving her a ride home, and, and on the way home, she was 100, I think, and I was 50. It always made me feel young to go with Sister Perry, twice my age. I was taking her home, and, and on the way home, she said, well, Brother Stephen, I, I have a present for you if you want it. I don't know if this is appropriate, but I'll, I'll uh, offer it to you. I'm dealing with the effects of just turning 50 years of age in my mind, trying to get reconciled to that. And she said, I have an extra burial plot. <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll give that to you. And I have to tell you, I just wasn't too excited. <laughs> I was just silent. I don't think I expressed any degree of appreciation for it. And she didn't give it to me. But you know what? Now, I kind of wish I'd have taken it. But all kidding aside, God used her as an inspiration. And she was a blessing. She was. Brother Jim Stamper. In his 70s, God leads this precious dear couple to Mount Carmel. He'd been a minister in another order for many, many years. In an order that you have to do something to help Christ become, help Christ in choosing you and saving you, and you have to do something. And when he discovered the doctrines of grace, he was a minister in these, uh, this, this other denomination. When he discovered the doctrines of grace, when he realized that it's by grace that you're saved by grace, period. In his 70s, he and Sister Verdi, humble, dear couple, they sat right there, back by Sister Lee. He came to Mount Carmel. 
the family and friends in the other congregation that he had pastored, they concluded, they said, Jim Stamper must have had a stroke. To change his way of thinking, to leave a denomination that he's pastored and a people that he's labored with through his life, and they couldn't understand it. And the best way to justify it is that Jim Stamper had a stroke. That's what they said. But when he came to Mount Carmel, humble, humble couple. He started speaking in the pulpit, never was willing to be ordained. He was in his 70s, but he loved to tell you about the sovereign grace of God and that Jesus Christ paid the price and he prayed, paid it in full and he completed the work and he was such an inspiration to us. When I think of Jim and Bertie, I smile. He started here in Harford County with one little concrete truck. They grew up just poor as they could be. And by the time he sold his business off Maryland Concrete, he was a multi-multi-millionaire. But you'd have never known it. Not by the humble approach that he took and the life that he lived. They were an inspiration. He was an inspiration. Elder Compton. We've mentioned him. Those of you that knew him, you had a special blessing. He grew up in North Carolina, said he grew up in a log cabin with a dirt floor. He said his education was the second grade. Then he had to go to work. When he got married, he said that his wife taught him how to read. He said that was one of the first things that his wife did was to sit down and teach him how to read. And so they began to read the scriptures over and over again. You wouldn't have known it by the life that Elder Compton and Sister B.C. lived. They were married almost 77 years. Humble, dear couple lived in a, the house they first built in Washington, D.C. You wouldn't have known it. Elder and Sister Compton died multi-multi-millionaires. But it didn't affect the way they lived, the way they served God. Elder Compton would learn from the lessons of the blessings that God had bestowed upon him. I'll never forget him telling this story. He said we grew up out in the country on the farm and, I, and we just wanted a little patch of land where we could grow some vegetables and just get out and enjoy the land. And he said, so we bought a hundred acres just outside Washington, D.C. And he said, we only paid about $10,000 for the whole farm back in 1960. And he said, the month after we settled on our farm, they announced that they were putting in Dulles Airport right next to us. Said there was a chain link fence right next to our farm. He said the next year, he said this man stopped by now, here's a lesson that, there's, there's a point in this lesson. He said the next year a man stopped by, and he said, he stopped by on a Friday evening, and he said, this man stopped by, and he said, I want to buy a little corner piece of this land that you own. Brother Compton said, it's not for sale. This man said, I want to buy this little bitty corner Piece. He says about like a postage stamp of the section of property that you own. Elder Compton said, I, I don't have time to think about it. The man pulled out his checkbook and he wrote him a check for $90,000. And he said, listen, I want to buy this piece of property. 
And Elder Compton says, I thought he was crazy because I only paid $10,000 for the whole farm and he just wanted to buy a little, little corner spot of it. And he said, I told him, he says, I really don't have, I don't really have time to think about it. I, I, I have other things on my mind. And, and this man said, well, well, what could be more important than making money? And Elder Compton said, well, he asked me and I told him. He said, I told him I was going to a church meeting that weekend and I was going to be in services Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And that was much more important to me than than any offer that he would make to buy a little piece of the corner of the property that I have. He said, the man just shook his head and left and went away. Elder Compton said, I went on to the church meeting. We went to church Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We had such a great time. I enjoyed it. He said, I didn't think about it over the course of the weekend. He said, I get back and I'm out there working on the farm on Monday morning. He said, I see the man pull up again. He said, all right, if you're going to be hard to deal with, here's a check for $100,000. Elder Compton said he ended up taking the $100,000, but he upped it $10,000 because he thought that was Elder Compton's approach to get the price up. And Elder Compton said, all I want to do is just go to church and not think about it. But that's how God turned around and blessed him. And over and over and over again, God blessed him. He didn't start preaching until he was 60 years old and he preached over 40 years. He did a lot of marriage counseling in his latter years. And who better to get counseling from than somebody that's been married 77 years. What a great blessing that he was. Another one that I'll mention. I could go on for another hour because God has blessed us with so many special, special people. Brother Phil can amen this one because he's blood kin to him. Brother Oris Jackson. He was one of the finest men that I've ever known. He wouldn't hurt a fly. He was a godly example of a godly man. And I'll never forget, this spoke volumes. He lived in Bel Air most of his life. He didn't want any recognition. He just wanted to serve the Lord and be humble. He had, I think it's Bel Air TV on Main Street, and he fixed a lot of TVs, a lot of folks, especially widows, he wouldn't charge them. He'd go fix their TV. He'd, they'd say, what do we owe you? And he wouldn't, wouldn't charge them a bill. Brother Jackson not only had a great report in the church, but I think this is really, really important. And in fact, it's one of the requirements, it says in the scriptures of being a deacon, is a man that has, uh, uh, being a deacon and a minister, a man that has a good report both within and without. And when Brother Jackson passed away, and there were folks in the community that had never worshipped with him in the church setting, and when they, we knew the man that Brother Jackson was at church that we worshipped with, when, when we had his funeral, and individuals stood up and began to talk about Brother Jackson, you'd have thought they'd worshipped with him in church all their life. Because the report that he had at church matched the report that he had within the community. And the two were identical. What a great blessing that that was. A prince of a man.
that God blessed us with. How is it that he speaks? He speaks by the example that he was to us and the impact that he was in our life. You can look in your life and you are who you are by those that touched your life that are still speaking to you even though they're up in heaven. How do dead people speak? They speak through the experiences, through the blessings, the benefits that they were to you in their life. I'm just going to touch on a couple more. Jack and Moselle Polk. Now don't you get a smile when you think of them? They didn't come to Mount Carmel until they were in their 70s. And when they walked to the, the, the building was different at that time. The foyer was out here and the door was out in the foyer. But Sister Polk said, she said, when I walked in the door of Mount Carmel and I met Sister Peggy's mother, Sister Rebecca, and the way that she greeted me, by the way that she met me, she said, I knew I had found a home. And she said it was right. They came into the church in their 70s and they came running. Brother Polk had been a handyman and a contractor in his earlier years. The church at Southampton was just beginning to start and they'd taken on an old building that was in very bad repair. And Brother Polk in his mid-70s took it upon himself, no compensation, to, to go up and renovate the building at Southampton. And several days a week, he'd load up his tools and his pickup or his car. He'd drive up to Southampton and he'd work on that old building to where they could have church at Southampton. He's been gone now 15, 20 years. But many lessons that Brother Pope taught us by example continue to live on. I want to be like those people that touched my life, that made an impact on my life. And then when I'm gone, I hope that there will be some of the things that maybe God has blessed me with that will be an encouragement to other people. I'll just touch on a couple more and we'll wrap it up. Brother Ray Evers. Those of you that knew Brother Ray, wonderful guy. He had one of the most blessed abilities to pray to the Lord. When he prayed to the Lord... You could just sense he was talking to God. I mean, his prayers blessed everybody when he would pray. It was such a heartfelt prayer. Such a humble man that desired to serve God. Brother John, Sister Rebecca, Brother Don, Sister Jane, Brother Tom Reeves. Just the, the I just loved watching Brother Tom lead singing. Especially Swing Low, Sweet Jared. I really wanted Braid to embrace that and be the one that carried that on, and I hope he will. He was such a, had that North Carolina tone to it. It added so much, and I just loved hearing Brother Tom lead singing. The blessing. He didn't say a whole lot. He, he, didn't, he didn't say a lot, but he, uh, uh, what he did say was profound. Brother Mark will tell you privately, he did give Brother Mark some counsel when he had his first grandchild, and Brother Mark can tell you about that. But Brother Tom was such a blessing. Brother John, Brother Don, their spouses, 
Brother Jim Dixon, Sister Barbara, their faithfulness. They were always at church if they could possibly be there. I think of Brother John Taylor that uh, many of you knew at New York. Such a great encouragement. We met during his time eight years every month and sometimes twice a month in New York City. He lived quite a ways from where we met, but he would load up the songbooks in a big suitcase and he'd haul that suitcase through the streets of New York in the back of the cab, up and down steps, on the subway. Nobody had ever done that until he passed away. And then we had no idea how heavy those songbooks, about 30 books that he would carry. I mean, you couldn't even hardly lift it. He was almost 80 years old and he did that through the streets of New York City every time we met. And he never one time missed a service in eight and a half years. I'm sure he didn't always feel like going. I'm sure his health wasn't always good, but he was always there. Sometimes I would get a little bit not despondent about going, but I would think about Brother John's going to be there. Whether anybody else is there or not, I know Brother John's going to be there. And God put it on our hearts to go if it was just for one person. He was an inspiration. You can be that inspiration to somebody else. The life that you're living right now, no matter what it is, it's going to speak to those that come after you. If you don't want to be remembered as a bitter old man, a bitter old woman... Time to change that's right now. I mean, the time to deal with this while you're alive. And pray that God will bless you to be a blessing right now. And if he, if he blesses you to be a blessing right now, you'll be a blessing later after you pass from this life. Yes, the dead yet speaketh. They speak to us in a variety of ways. Our life is enriched and different. Because of the examples, because of the lessons, because of the Word of God that we have through those that have gone on to be with the Lord. May God bless you.